Welcome to A No Place to Hide, a men's mental health podcast. Over the coming weeks and episodes, I'll be talking to guests from different industries and different backgrounds, all willing to share their story and their experiences. Alongside this, I'll be talking about my own experiences and my own stories, covering a wide range of topics. Sometimes this will be hard-hitting, brutally honest, and even sometimes shocking. Subjects that we will be covering and talking about are of a sensitive nature like suicide, self-harm, addiction and sometimes people that have been in very dark places but all of this is in the aim of breaking that stigma of men not talking or men not seeking help so welcome to a no place to hide come and take a seat and listen along the journey on men's mental health with the aim of breaking that stigma together Welcome to episode two of A No Place to Hide, and today we're joined by Ollie Jenks, a TikTok sensation that goes under the name of Paolo Panini, and if you've not checked him out, please do so, because it's absolute scream a minute. This guy's a successful podcaster, radio presenter, freelance article author, and also just an all-round general great bloke, and it's a brilliant pleasure to have you here today, Jared. Thanks. No worries. Thank you very much for having me, and uh, what a wonderful introduction. Uh, that's going to disappoint thousands. <laughs> if, you, if you want to check him out on tiktok guys absolutely do because i tell you it brightens up my day every minute, every uh, minute. Good, work, good stuff uh, but yeah it's brilliant to have you here um so today we're going to talk about ptsd recovery we'll probably cover some facts and stats while we're going along uh, and just bust some myths as well because there's quite a lot of myths with ptsd absolutely um, so yeah we'll get straight into it so I don't know if you want to just take me back to where it all began or the build-up to the trauma and the event, if there is a particular one as such. Yeah, it's it's, it's a weird one, really, um, because I think it's something I've always had. Well, I, I was only diagnosed with PTSD or told I had it about nine months ago. Um, you know, I, I just thought that I was one of these people that gets depressed quite easily or um, kind of was a bit too sensitive, maybe, but analyzing it with a therapist which i did do nine months ago um it's weird how much i've realized since then that how much ptsd has controlled my life ever since ever since a young age because for for what i do as a career now you've got to be quite confident um assertive and obviously when you're speaking publicly to lots of people something i do on a you know almost daily basis yeah um yeah, you, know, you would have thought someone with PTSD would never be able to do that, but it's it's kind of almost like an act. It's almost like second nature to me to be able to do that kind of thing. So it's it's weird how that could that that I could be two different people if that makes sense. Yeah, um, kind of like the, the, the person exactly. I, I used to when I was a kid. I used to like if there was someone across the road who I thought could potentially beat the living crap out of me, I'd cross the road way <laughs> way in advance. I I wouldn't pick up the phone if I you know I, I'm scared. I was scared to people scared of answering the phone because. You know, I didn't know if I had the communication skills. If it was someone from like, like back in the day before mobile phones, Gosh, if it was yeah. someone you know from I don't know the garage saying, "Oh, my mum's car's been fixed," I would have just flanked. I'd be like, "Whoa!" You know <laughs> what I mean? It's I know it sounds ridiculous, but it's yeah, all because absolutely. of like past events that have triggered 
certain things and then even today if i if there's an unknown number ringing on my phone nine times out of ten i won't answer it um even if you know it could be an emergency and it's, it's just things like that just being being put in situations this is what i've had this is the kind of crux of it throughout my life i've been put in situations that have been very very difficult for me with my brain to kind of work out um and constant difficult situations um and that's where the ptsd is triggered i've only learned that since having therapy yeah um that this is what your brain does so the myth of ptsd is that a lot of people just think it's to do with people who are in the army and like vietnam war veterans is the is the cliche isn't it that's right you know, yeah, you're kind of is. you know screaming in their sleep and paralysis and kind of um you know flashbacks to the jungle and then being shot at and stuff yeah. um which has been popularized by many a great film but nothing could be further from the truth you can have ptsd with anything with any subject matter yeah it can be like any link assaults sexual assaults muggings robberies you know even like serious health problems can cause ptsd and it might not be instant it might be like you know years down the line yeah you develop the ptsd it's, yeah there is a big myth around it just being vets and, and yeah not. spot on absolutely spot on and with me it's kind of i've only realized i'm 31 now and like you know i, I can recall similar triggers of my personality trait this happened in school, you know, I wouldn't do certain things. I was, I've always been very, very cautious. My brain, I'm convinced, works at a million miles an hour more than the average person because I'm thinking 10 steps ahead. You know, when, when any snooker fans in the house, Ronnie O'Sullivan's so good at what he does because he's thinking seven or eight shots ahead. Yeah. My brain's doing that with everyday life situations. So if I'm in the car, I'm thinking, well, if the traffic light is doing that here, I know in a few moments' time down the road, it's going to be quicker to go this route. Um, for example, um, et cetera, et cetera. And then it's the same with kind of all, all, all different kind of manner of situations, to be honest. Um, not just the traffic, because that'll be uh, quite bleak. <laughs> but uh, um, but yeah, whether it might be like avoiding confrontation or whatever it may be. Um, but yes, go on. That's got to be like mental. That's got to be exhausting if you're living that on a day-to-day basis. Yeah, yeah. And I, I, I I still do it now, to be honest. It's a lot better than what it was. Um, but when I was like mentally properly struggling, which we'll get into in 2018, 2019 time, which we'll, I'll get into that in a second, where, um, yeah, my brain was going so fast, thinking about so many different things, so many outcomes, so many different worries, uh, that, yeah, it's a lot better than what it was. But at its height, the story I'll tell in a few moments' time, I had so many, so much, so much stuff I was juggling and also that brain capacity that's going a million miles an hour and trying to work everything out 10 steps ahead with multiple different things. I don't know how I survived, you know what I mean? Um, that time. And I very nearly didn't um, as, as, as we'll get on to, but yeah, it's a weird way of understanding the brain. I'm not sure there's other people listening to this that maybe haven't got therapy and probably should at some point because they might be quite similar in the way their brain sort of works and it, it, as you quite rightly said it is extraordinarily tiring because it's sometimes with just really mundane things like this morning i'd go and drop some stuff off at the post office i then had to go to another post office to drop off parcels for another company and um you know i was thinking last night about this and about the easiest way to do it about which way i'm going to drive there uh, about what I'm going to say to the cashier, um, or you know, as I think the normal person would just do it quite blasé and go, oh, "I'm just going to the shops, yeah. I'm just going to the post yeah. office." I'm not doing that. Yeah. I'm thinking about it. 
as if it's like a PlayStation game, as if, well, you've got to do this level first. Level one, get in the car. <laughs> like, level two, keys and ignition. I know that sounds stupid, and to people, yeah, but it is, you, you hit the nail on the head, it is mentally tiring. And that's why I don't get much, you know, I, I sleep quite well, but... Do you feel like I'm, you have to plan I'm a, every I'm an early bird. No, not every task. It's just the ones where I'm, like, interacting with people, or, like, um... Uh, like being in a situation I'm not comfortable with, um, because I think I've been in so many difficult situations. Whether you know I've worked for some like pretty big companies, like billion pound corporation companies, that have been in high intense stressful situations where there's been quite high pressure meetings, and there's been a lot yeah. of pressure on me to deliver in these meetings. I've had to fly across the world to get these very important like budget meetings or whatever else, and I can be completely at my depth, <laughs> not knowing what the hell to do, kind of thing, and. Um, yeah, and I think the trauma from that ex- particular experience, your your brain goes, well, let's not let that happen again. Yeah, you know, let's yeah. let's plan everything meticulously as much as much as we can. Um, I know, I know. There's people thinking, <laughs> Ollie, just <laughs> take some tablets, mate, or whatever <laughs> else. But um, it's not quite as easy as that. And I, that's something I'm pretty sure I've had. And it's not. Don't get me wrong. It's not a constant struggle. You know, I live my life quite happily and quite well. Um, it's just something I've noticed since having therapy is how the way my in which my brain works. Yeah, and it's why I, I kind of play by the rule and and quite safe. Yeah, no, it's um, I can't even begin to imagine that side. I mean, I've not suffered from that side of PTSD, um, luckily, but I can imagine the like the mental exhaustion, especially like you say, if if you're laid there at night worrying about the next day, trying to think about each step. Not only are you exhausting your brain the next day doing that, you're losing your sleep as well, which you know it's it's like a double-edged sword, isn't it? Do you know what I mean? Absolutely. I'm I'm naturally a morning person as well, and I feel guilty if I'm not doing something. Um, so I, I try and be productive as possible, which is as you said, is a double-edged sword because this is exactly why I'm going on holiday next week because <laughs> I need to force myself to like sit down and do nothing. I've, you know, there's a good chance I've got um, a form of ADHD. Uh, undiagnosed at this point I'm on a waiting list at the moment um, to try and get it out there in the open to say you've got this kind of thing yeah. just just for peace of mind really um, but yeah it, it's something it's something I kind of uh, have to daily battle with without even thinking about I have to battle with it but when I speak to other people like speaking to you and saying you know this isn't <laughs> this must be this must be really fucking annoying uh, <laughs> but it's to me it's kind of normal and uh, that's the bizarre thing I suppose if you've been like in that mindset for years, you don't know any different. Do you know what I mean? And it's yeah, exactly. And it wasn't until I again, I'll, I'll, you know, I'll be a big advocate for therapy, and I'll, I'll give a shout out to the company that helped me out at the end of the podcast because I'm sure they can Absolutely. help out a lot of other people as well, and it's free as well. So um, yeah. you know, keep listening for that discount code. <laughs> um, <laughs> but uh, but yeah, it wasn't until understanding how the brain works and how everyone's different, and um, you know, the experiences for when you're young or certain traumas or certain events happening individually in everyone's lives can affect the future so greatly. I didn't understand that at all, really. You know, it was kind of, you know, when I grew up in quite a conservative, stiff upper lip, uh, particularly my teens kind of background, there is no room for emotional kind of, uh, kind of separation. You kind of get on with it. Yeah, so you similar similar sort of generation to me that you know it's like as a man, 
you don't show emotion, you don't cry, especially in front of women, you don't cry because it's a sign of weakness or, you know, you, you kind of get up, get on, we walk it off sort of thing. Do you know what I mean? Which, you know, as, as a child gets imprinted on your brain. So as an mm. adult, then, you, you know, you think as soon as anything upsets you or you get a trauma, your natural response then is to, well, I'll just shut up, get on with it, deal with it, whatever. You Man, don't that is, speak about it. Do you know what I mean? That's the, the story of my life for like yeah. probably from like aged eight to 26. It was just not just keeping it bottled up and, um, you know, just giving up on things or if something got too much pressure, rather than talk about it and be open with people, I'd find the nearest door and leave uh, in both a literal sense and a metaphorical sense yeah. um, or quit what I was doing or you know, come up with some excuse to leave where the job or whatever it was I was doing at the time um which is a yeah it's, it's it's a terrible way to kind of leave a job if that's what's making you mm-hmm. you know putting you in that situation but it was the easiest route for me at the time and I've done that multiple times with different jobs and roles I had I just came up with some excuses that I need to get out of here when really what I should have said is that I'm really mentally struggling at the moment um I need I need help or I need you to listen to me or I need to pull. I need to pull someone aside and have a meeting with someone. Yeah. But what I done instead was said, "Oh, my mum's really ill, or I got a family issue," and then fucked off. Use it as um, which makes it worse because then then they've got a lasting impression of you because they probably sensed it was I was making something up, but they didn't really know what was going on behind the scenes, and um, that's a stigma we need to get rid of. But having said that, I think some of these big corporate billionaire companies I work for, I don't think they would have cared. I'm pretty sure they wouldn't have. When I when I go into my um, kind of uh, hard hitting story in a minute, they wouldn't. I don't think they would have empathised with me because we live in a corporate greedy world, unfortunately. And things are slowly turning, but um, it's high yeah. time they did. It is. Yeah, I agree. I think I think that sort of generational attitude is what's causing so many men to obviously take their lives or start getting depressed and everything because they just suppress so much and and I just think it is like you say it is starting to turn men are starting to open up more and I think it's a phenomenal thing I think it's a beautiful thing that men are embracing that and they are doing it I just think more men need to be on board with it and more people not just men but people need to be more accepting of men when they try mm. to open up like that so you get a lot of people that will just automatically close that door on them because they don't know how to deal with it because they've not been educated or brought up in yeah, when 100%. they see a man struggling. Do you know what I mean? And it's it's we are getting there as a society. I think we are. Um it's just a slow process. And underfunded. Absolutely. Massively underfunded. Like everything at the moment. Yeah. It is, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I mean, was there like one particular event that sparked the whole thing off and then chain reaction or was it just one event that snowballed? Um there was one massive turning point. One massive turning point that kind of changed my life trajectory. Wow. Um, in terms of what I wanted from life, because I think this this is one I'm, I'm a massive ambassador for um, reform in education, particularly secondary schools and college, because I think they sell you a lie. I think society is transfixed on this almost American dream of you go to school, you go to university. You get a job, you meet a partner, you get a mortgage. Yeah. Life isn't like that. Life isn't one, two, three, four, five. Life is one, seven, Z, 
<laughs> F. You know what I mean? Like, Absolutely. Like, yeah. Exactly. It's it's so random, and um, you just take advantage of what any ever any opportunity you can get. And now I'm not particularly academic, but when most people meet me and they kind of judge me by the way I sound and maybe uh, presume things, I'm not academic in the slightest. Um, I'm a creative, and a lot of schools and colleges don't don't cater for that at all. They don't tell you yeah. how you could sort out you know your own business like I've got now, or or um, they don't teach you how you can kind of work with social media and. Maybe they do now, but it's, it's, I, I don't. I think they've got it all wrong. I think they're so transfixed on the academic side of things and pleasing exam boards, Ofsted, and government statistics that they forget about. Exactly, it's all money based, isn't it? Yeah, all money based. Very dra- our education system is very draconian. Very, yeah. So, for, yeah, for my my college, for example, expanded and expanded and expanded when I was there. I think it had like nearly twenty thousand people at one point. They started doing foundation degrees, A levels, B techs, all sorts of stuff because they were getting millions in, implored by them from from government funding. But what that translated is is that they didn't have enough tutors, they didn't have enough staff, they didn't have enough course leaders, they didn't have enough um, uh, teaching accessories or computers or anything like that. Yeah. So most people were only in college two and a half days a week, so they were getting fuck all. They were absolutely getting nothing out of it. Uh, it's just ridiculous, you know. Um, but anyway, back to the triggering story, I guess. So let's rewind to 2018. Yeah. So I used to live in Vietnam. So it's funny how he mentioned the uh, <laughs> Vietnam War veterans. There was a yeah, lot of stuff. It's a whole different story, and I've got many of them. Maybe I have to come back on. But there's a whole load of things in Vietnam. So I worked for a travel company over there, and a lot of things over there gave me. I still do giving to some extent PTSD because a lot of things went wrong. Um, I was in charge of kind of uh, looking after tour groups and managing tours over there for um, anyone really from Europeans, Americans, Australians, lots and lots of different tour groups. And uh, Vietnam being a relatively undeveloped country, it certainly was at the time. It's a bit more popular now. Mm-hmm. You can imagine when you've got these high rolling um, clients coming in expecting the world at their feet. You know, if things in Vietnam don't work like they do in America or in Great Britain or Germany or, you know, one of the richer economies, it's kind of, when you're in the shit, you've just got to deal with it. Yeah. And a lot, a lot of shit happened. And rather than kind of go, well, that's to be expected. We are in a underdeveloped country. <clears throat> Most people just went, we need to blame someone. Ollie, now he's a nice guy. Let's blame him. You know, so there's a lot, there's a lot of things that went wrong from, uh, people getting mugs, people's passports stolen, uh, train uh, train being flooded. Like there's a landslide while we we're on the train. Um, oh, shit! While well, you was on, actually on the train as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it's it's like so so many stuff. I've tried to block a lot of it out of my memory to be honest. Because um, when you're in charge of like forty, fifty people, and something like that happens, they all look to you, and you've not been given anything. I won't name the company because I think they need serious, serious health and safety reforms. Ref- reforms, yeah. and um, they did not give you any help at all. You're on your own. Wow. Because um, they didn't want to deal with it any more than you did, um, and because it was a bit, it was in Vietnam, it was dodgy, and I don't think they were legally meant to be trading there anyway. So there's a lot of stuff that went on, but that's a completely different story. But anyway, I love my. Having said that, I did love my time there, and you know, I loved experiencing. A completely different culture and you know a lot of a big part of me wanted, wanted, wanted to go back um because it was so marvelous and wonderful and freeing because it's the complete opposite of the rat race we have over here 
yeah um people are working to survive and they're happy with their lot and that's a uh, remarkably refreshing and it's a wonderful beautiful country um but i left there in january of or february of 2018 so i came back to the uk uh with not a lot to do i uh, signed up to an event called the Mon- mongol rally yeah i've seen that which it is look, it look pretty good fun it, oh oh my mate mate um <laughs> so for those that don't know what it is it's basically a rally around the world where you build your own rally car for under 500 quid and you raise as much money for charity as possible and you've got to get from the uk to mongolia um you can take as long as you want you can take whatever route you want you can do whatever you need to do um so i spent time from february up until july basically building prepping the car uh, getting all the passport documentation needs needed, getting sponsorships, uh, raising money, that kind of thing for the charity, and then from July until September, um, three and a half, nearly four months, I was traveling traveling around the world in this crappy little car, well, that Jurassic having Park. the, the best Park time. Park. Yeah, the Jurassic Park theme car. Yeah. Go on my Instagram, you'll see it, and we. <laughs> Well, you got to remember, we weren't just going through like France and Germany and places like that. I went through, I spent a lot of time in Iran, in Tajikistan, in uh, went to the Afghanistan border. Uh, we went through Turkmenistan, which is like Central Asia's North Korea. Like not many people get to go there. Um, spent a lot of time in Russia, Ukraine, funnily enough, and um, spent nearly a month in Mongolia. On, yeah, they've got no roads over there. And it was the most, oh, I can't speak highly enough of it, as an event because it's not like a holiday it was hard work as you can imagine but it was the most freeing experience most liberating experience a person could have i can't put that enough into words and i know it must sound like a nightmare to some people who just like going to <laughs> benedorm but honestly it you i learned more in that three to four months than i did in 18 years of education 21 years of education with university that's, involved that's, that's because you true. learn about different cultures you learn about communication you learn about teamwork team building everything a corporate company wants you to do you learn while in the opposite of a corporate environment while yeah. you know winging it on the road you're camping you're camping with sherpas in mongolia you're drinking tea with like um in an iranian mosque you're you know um it's it's you it's just things you never thought would happen you know yeah, you get kind of people pointing guns at you in Russia and stuff like that. You know, just completely mad stuff. But that's a bit of me. If you know me, traveling and going doing weird stuff is what sets my world alight. Yeah. Um, because it's again, it goes back to that thing I was saying earlier. It's the complete opposite of the norm. And um, saying that's why I went. That's ultimately it's why I moved to Vietnam as well. I wanted the opposite of the norm. Um, but yeah, that trip just changed my life. It just opened up all these doors of wow and it, i came back home after that with a new girlfriend thinking oh my god nothing i ever do in life will top that now that's one hell of a come down to peak your life experience uh in 2018 it would have been 27 28 and knowing your life's peaked because you can only do that trip once it costs a lot of money to oh, do yeah. and obviously you know the societal pressures of finding a house and having a job or whatever else kind of kicking at some point and you come crashing back down to reality. And that's what happened. It came crashing back down to reality. Um to the point where I had a girlfriend at the time from South Africa who I met on the rally. 
she came back to the UK with me. Couldn't get a working visa in the UK for obvious reasons. It's very difficult if you're from an African country. Um, so we ended up moving to Ireland, to Dublin specifically, um, because she said it'll be easier for her to get a uh, work permit over there. Um, turns out it wasn't. Um, but I managed to get a job over there quite quickly. And um, this is one of the corporate companies, which I will not name once again for legal reasons. Um, so I got a really high job over there. I was a director of operations um, for this company. But we moved over there on a massive gamble because hopefully she was getting work. Um, it wasn't, it was a fancy title with not the wage that you'd expect with that. Right. Um, so I basically went from living my best life on this rally to it all crashing down and me being the sole provider for two people in a completely different country. She's from South Africa. So Ireland to her is like what China would be to me. Yeah. Um, and then I'm in Ireland as well, having never been there before. My rent was something like 2000 euros a month. Um, on top of that, you have bills on top of that. Um, I had to pay for everything she was doing. And um, I basically had to use my dad's inheritance money to put down a deposit on the flat because at the time, and there still is a massive housing crisis in Dublin, as there is in London, yeah. people just can't afford to live there. Yeah. And um, I pandered to her needs rather than to mine. Like She was very picky about, oh, I don't want to do a house share we need somewhere a little bit bigger. It's, it's kind of, I was just completely, I was so desperate because I had this job, but I didn't have anywhere to live. Right, yeah. That makes sense. And they wanted yeah. me to start. And I was too afraid to say to them because of can the, it, can, it, it wait? can it wait or <laughs> can you help me out? Or, you know what I mean? When I went to that flat viewing the first time around the flat, we eventually ended up living. There was 25 other people there. All viewing the flat to. All viewing the flat to like, the only reason we got it is because I had to lie to the landlord and say, oh, I'm, I work for the RNLI and I was going to volunteer down the road. That's the only reason we got it. And desperate times, I know that sounds bad, but any desperate times, <laughs> well, yeah, desperate measures. If you're stood there with 25 other people and you know, you're desperate. Exactly. 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 And, and it, you know, it wasn't the best flat. It was, it was, it was quite nice to be fair. It wasn't, wasn't too bad. It wasn't too bad. But um, yeah, as I said, so I, every month was losing money. Every month was losing money, which I'm, I'm, I, I wouldn't have to get, I wouldn't have to teach you to suck eggs. The financial pressures of modern day life uh, in your twenties and thirties is some it can hit people real hard, oh, yeah, and was hitting me awesome. was hitting me really hard. Um, it was okay at the start. We didn't have electricity for like three weeks. We didn't have hot water for like three weeks either because we just moved in such a rush. Um, and then it transpired she couldn't get work perm over there. I'd got been tied into this 12 month contract with this quite high end uh, corporate job, this billion pound company. Um, so I was kind of stuck there. She had nowhere to go to. I was stuck. And um, as it transpired, the job wasn't what I thought it would be. And this is where the story gets kind of interesting. I won't, there were lots of lots of different things that happened. Um, this job was in the travel industry once again and dealt with a lot of young students from abroad. Um, and I was responsible for about 5,000 students. I was responsible for 120 staff, 12 managers, and two kind of 
deputy managers under me, above me was just one person. And this is for the whole of Ireland, by the way. So I kind of walked into this job, not really expecting what it was. And I think they kind of brushed up the job description. What it turned out to be was me working 16, 17 hours a day, seven days a week between April, no, between um, November 2018 and August 2019. So there's about nine, ten month period where I was pretty much doing six, seven days a week. Just working flat out, troubleshooting day after day. While so imagine working in a job you fucking hate with a girlfriend you're starting to despise because you know you kind of realise she kind of used you to just get to a different situation. Is draining your bank balance like you no know, tomorrow? I know that shouldn't come into it, but it, yeah, let's be honest, it does massively. Yeah, massively. Finance um, comes into it a hell of a lot. So I'm losing money. It got to the point where I didn't have any money for food, for drink. I, part of living your life is to enjoy yourself. Like I, I, I'd experienced on the rally. I couldn't, I couldn't, you know, I couldn't go and, you know, I'd go and watch a band play. I couldn't, you know, go to the pub and enjoy myself. I just couldn't afford it. And um, food came first. I know it's bad. And I was in a job that was on paper, but like, it, you know, you know, as I said, I had like 120, 150 people under me. Um, and the job was brand new to me, but it was also brand new to my boss. So my boss never really gave me any help either. So you couldn't even get the the support or the experience. No, and then I found it very difficult to go to her as well because I'd also I'd always get kind of blanket answers or oh you need to speak to the previous person in this job. I was like, that's such a cast off. It wasn't the help I needed. It was kind of palming it off to someone else. It's like, yeah. in what other world would you or speak to the previous person that done this job and done it so badly they've had to hire someone else? You know, in which case they hired me. So, was, yeah, so long story short, I was responsible for all these 5,000 students, uh, 150 odd staff. So, every and every problem always got escalated to me, uh, which is partly my fault because I, in short, I hired, I just hired the managers underneath me. I just got, got it completely wrong. I hired a bunch of people who worked for the company before the previous summer, um, which is the wrong thing to do because they've got preconceived ideas. Right. What I should have done was hired the more competent people who'd not worked there before. Um, yeah. But what that transpired, there was a lot of snaky people. Everything got blamed on me. A lot of stuff went wrong with students. Um, students stayed with host families over there, so they'd be put up to try and learn English from like, Irish uh, families and whatever else. So I was getting calls. So I was getting calls from... Irish family saying the kids are being shits. I was getting called from Spanish parents, Russian parents saying that their kids are unhappy in Ireland and they want to be sent home. I was getting calls from the police because some of the kids were robbing stuff in the middle of Dublin. I was getting calls from my boss saying, oh, why Why is your um, your feedback score so low from the students that came in April? Um, I was getting calls from her boss saying, oh, you need to, oh, we're coming for a surprise meeting next week. You need to show people around. I was getting calls um, from course leaders saying one of the students tried to commit suicide. I was getting, and this was happening for 10 months. Uh, you obviously got your personal issues at all. All while sure. I had no money, couldn't really afford to heat the house. We never got internet in that flat, by the way. I was I was using my works for, my work phone's 4G. It's not never always got a internet. bad thing though, is it? <laughs> no. Um, my 
person in charge, as nice as she, as nice as she was, she was a nice person, just completely incompetent at helping me. And I was just as bad because I didn't want to come across as I didn't have a clue what I was doing. But then again, that's unfair on me because I did know what I was doing, but I was very wary of the fact that it was going tits up and yeah. I wasn't the only person to blame there. It's, it's, and I felt all the blame come my direction and no one else's. And I was constantly being put in meetings saying, oh, why has this happened? Why has that happened? Um, the biggest one, the biggest one, this is the biggest one. I kind of mentioned it earlier, I think. So I was not long into this job. I was maybe like two months in. So my boss, who I said, had not been, she'd been in the company a long time, but she'd not been in her role very long. Um, she said, all right, next week, you need to fly to Zurich and present a budget for the summer. Because all the kids come over in the summer to learn English. Right. You've got to present a budget. I've never fucking presented a budget before. <laughs> and the budget ended up being like 15, 20 million euros. I've, I don't come from a wealthy background. I've never seen so many zeros in my life. It's, it's, I, I was just like, what, firstly, why are you telling me this now? Secondly, can I have some help? Thirdly, do you really like, how is this going to pan out exactly? So I've got to go to the bosses of this company who are, you know, it was it was created by one man who still exists and is like a multi-billionaire. I've got to go and present a budget in front of him, tell him how much profit he's going to make from this initial tech. And I've got to justify why we've got to spend 10 million euros. I'm only a month in the job. And I don't know pretty... anything about what you do. Yeah, no previous experience. Yeah. And so I had to... <laughs> So I was getting proper panic attacks from that. And as you rightly said, while all this other shit's going on, my girlfriend's not happy, she's getting depressed. I'm starting to realise I've been used because she was in a, let's say, a kind of not ideal situation before. Yeah. Um, and I've just been kind of used because I had money at the time, have nothing now, thanks to, well, been partly thanks to her. Um, you were like an escape. Yeah, exactly. I was, I was an escape route for her and it took me a while to come to terms with that. Um yeah, so I was told to go to this flipping meeting, and I, I again goes back to what I said earlier. I had to lie to get out of that situation, press the escape button. Um, I can't, I can't even remember what I said. I would, I'll come up with some rubbish excuse. I think I just said I was really ill. Yeah, which in some degree I was true. I was mentally ill. I was really fucking struggling. I was not sleeping. I was getting constant anxiety attacks, panic attacks, because I was put in the situation that I didn't have the tools to deal with. And it wasn't all my fault, as well as getting blamed for everything else. It wasn't all my fault. I was asking for help. I was asking for things. But every every door I was shown to go, oh, go to that person. Oh, this person will help you. They didn't. They didn't. I was passed around like a, you know, like a like a like a baby at a christening. It was, you know, it was it was ridiculous, and I couldn't keep going back saying. How bad would it have been if I asked for help? If I kept on asking for help, that, for me, showed a sign of weakness because I'd be like, yeah. oh, he keeps asking for help. And the reason I keep asking for help is because you went, the places you were saying to go to help weren't helping. Yeah, And it just it, it transpired that they were just as clueless as like, well, that's the real reason they didn't want to help me themselves. Um, but anyway, so yeah, I came up with an excuse and said, I can't go to this meeting. They called me up and was like, oh, so you're not flying to Zurich. We've booked your tickets and everything. I was like, well... I don't really care. I'm ill. And um, they're like, well, this isn't very, they said to me, this isn't going to look very good for you. It's not going to look very good for me. If I went to trading standards and went, right, I'm a month in the job and 
you give me a 10 million euro budget to spend and he goes by the way this will be the most important meeting of your career i i i, I think they i think i could i could legitimately sue them for failing the job description Jeez. so that was a big turning point for me that was me going fuck i don't think i'm cut out for it not only this job but this environment is not what i thought it was going to be whatsoever um so fast forward to six months and i'm being roped in to do other people's roles so i've got as i said once again five thousand kids i'm in charge of or still, ultimately still with the same company yeah so still the same company yeah. five thousand kids 150 odd staff i'm ultimately responsible for I'm then getting roped into other departments. I'm getting roped into the finance department. I'm getting roped into the accommodation department to help out there because ultimately the kids need somewhere to live. If they don't have somewhere to live, they can't come over, can't make money. Um, and I got heavily criticised for kind of standing up for myself and saying, well, I can't. And then like they give you the sob story saying, oh, we're low on staff and all this. And you're like, it'll make you look good. It'll, you know, they need they need you in there to... So it looks like they've got a leader when really I've got a million other things to do because I'm learning on the job um, for one. For two, I've got the private stuff going on with the missus. For three, I've got no money. Um, four, mentally, my mental health is at an all-time low because I can't, I, nothing I do is for myself. It's all for somebody else. thing is that you've, Not, just, you've got to this point just off of the back of probably one of the highest points in your life as well. Exactly, so exactly. Whole situation if you'd have not been at that point might it might have been a bit easier to deal with or you might have like made better decisions but you know how can you be have all that pushed on you when you've been in such a good place it's exactly so it's it's like driving a ferrari it's like fantastic at the start but you're going too fast you're gonna spin out of control um yeah so um yeah all this so yeah i got roped in the economy department i just couldn't handle it i had to just sit there and pretend everything was okay and i and i sat there and pretended everything was okay for nearly a year in that job um but it got to a point where halfway through the summer um i was told to go and help do some flyering now i'm not being funny and this is not me being arrogant i was the director of operations of that company as i said we had 150 staff um some of them were just like activity leaders um who was just you know it's fair enough some people did, like uni students would just do it as a summer job yeah. um some of them uh were kind of managers above that and some of them worked in accommodation everything else now this is not be me being arrogant and going i'm too important to flyer <laughs> um this is i had a million things to do as i said i was dealing with um parents from abroad i was dealing with course leaders from abroad i was dealing with activity leaders who couldn't work people who wanted to leave um hiring people uh you know we had kids end up getting arrested fights breaking out um there was a couple of suicide cases uh flights turning up late and then the coaches would turn up late and there'd be a massive miscommunication when the flight would turn up early and the coach wouldn't be there that all ended up with me even though we had different departments to sort that self out but when they can you know when they oh, yeah anyway I won't go on to blaming people but <laughs> anyway it, it came up to my head so i had all that going on and then it's like oh ollie uh can you do some flyering i, I flat out said no it's like then I've got the whole spiel of, oh, you didn't come to that meeting in Zurich and they used it against me kind of thing. And it's like, oh, you didn't come to the pub with us on that team bonding thing. I couldn't go to the pub because I couldn't afford it. Obviously, I didn't say that because I didn't want to come across as, you know, be judged essentially. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, and then oh, I, got, I don't know why. I think I thought, well, I kind of justified it to myself. I went, oh, you could spend some time outside flyering, 
trying to recruit host families to take the kids in. But in that moment where I'd done that and said, yeah, I'll do it. And one of the only reasons I got roped into doing it because I was one of the few people there that could drive, uh, which is another bad reason. Um, so for about, they said, all right, you can only, you can just do it in the morning, which ended up being five hours flying with someone I've only just met. And um, it was just really degrading, really degrading, because I betrayed my own principles, my own morality by agreeing to do that. Not because I was I mean, not because I was better than a job, but just because I had so much to do, all this pressure and stress from other people, that I knew that meant I wasn't going to bed till midnight, and then getting up at five a.m. the next day, um, and I knew that I wasn't essentially getting paid any more for that. I wasn't getting paid anything for it. As I said, my every month it was a minus. I pay off the rent, and that was it, gone. Um, so I was really, really pissed off. I thought, well, what I'm going to do, I'm going to tell this person I'm with to do the flying over there outside. I think we had like a contract outside of Tesco. Or something. I said, oh, I know what. I'll go and fly around the houses in this apartment. What I'd done, I chucked the flies in the bin. I went to have a coffee at McDonald's because I was so low. I was so fed up of being told what to do, even though I knew I was in the right and not being able to get any help and all this pressure had amounted. And I was just feeling sick. And that coffee I paid with with a company credit card, which I wasn't allowed to do, but I couldn't afford it on myself. I couldn't dare spend that myself. Um, just for a McDonald's coffee? I just, yeah, just, just broke, just broke, broke down, mate, because I had all this emotional trauma and psychological trauma and everything coming, biting me in the ass and whatever else. Um, I was walking down the street with coffee in hand, there was a truck coming the other way. And I wanted to break my legs. I didn't want to die. I wanted to break my legs. Because that was the only way I knew I could not work and have some time off. So your mind had snapped that much that you thought the only way that I can figure out to get out of the situation you're in was to put yourself under a wagon basically yeah that was the only i it was the only because this is how selfish i was at the time it's i needed the money at the same time i knew i could get i would get paid i would not have to work as hard it's not i would be less i would be i would be less responsible to people and people would stop blaming stuff on me if that were the case yeah but that's not selfish that's desperation of somebody that's the mind has been pushed and pushed. Put this pushed way, I was I was picking out trucks. I was like, well, that one would probably kill me. That one wouldn't do enough damage. Uh, that person's driving too slow. I was like, sure, I'll be half decent. And, and um, yeah, it was pretty mad. Pretty mad. See, like, I don't know. Do you like relive that that particular event? Does it keep? You know, into, in, well, I've not gone you know, it's, again. The story's gone on for a long time, but there's so many different details in my experience. I love Ireland, I love Dublin, I think it's a fantastic city. But it's in that particular job, there's so many one off stories about you know that, that's that suicide attempt from the from the child and the Spanish kid. You know, I was responsible for dealing with that. Um, from when anything went wrong with the company, whether it's booking a DJ or paying someone or you know 
uh, pay slips. I was in charge of the finance as well at points, and that went tits up at another point. There's so many different meetings I had to go to in London. So I was in, everyone else had to fly in from other places. Well, I had to get the train. So our headquarters is in Chelsea, London. I was the only one that had to fly in from Dublin. I remember one time being 10 minutes late because the flight flight was delayed. They took me into another room and said, oh, you can't be doing that again. You can't be coming in late. You're new here. So I said, the flight's delayed. And he said, oh, you need to get an earlier flight then. Or look at, I was like, get an earlier flight. I was up at three in the morning to get a one and a half coach to the airport because I lived in South Dublin. Airport's in the north. To then get coaches and stuff and then get a taxi to Chelsea. And I didn't have the money to do this. I was, I was, you know, I wasn't going to get a taxi. I was going to walk from the train station, but I realized I was late. So I got a taxi and paid for out my own money, which I didn't really have. Um, and yeah, they took me into another room. And of course, me being the nice guy, and this is the story of my life, really. It's me being too nice for own good, just going, oh, sorry. When really, I just said, fuck you in your <laughs> fucking 10 minute rules. I've come. And then what's the worst thing? Is that this is all something that could have been done over Teams or over Zoom? Ah, oh, shit. I don't know. It was pre-COVID, but it, Teams was still very much a thing then. It was all stuff. I was like, "What the fuck am I?" And I was like, "You know." Towards the end, before I quit, I, I kind of, um, I did say to them, "I said there were so many times I was sent to London, I had to spend my own money, which you did get reimbursed for, but it would take like a month, which in my predicament at the time was still it's losing not, money, and yeah, it's, you know, it's just ridiculous." they didn't know that and to me i didn't want them to know that um but it was such a pain in the ass it was just it was organized chaos it was just unorganized chaos the whole company the whole company's unorganized chaos they're, they're ripping people they, to this day i still know people a few people that work there they're good as gold and they just rip people off and um as i said you there's no, there's no decent billionaires previous trauma as well aren't you do you know what i mean from the vietnam stuff and everything else that you know yep yep from college I from school you've never dealt with any of that no, not at, at all. Point, you know, not at all. Not at all. I, 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 in my head at the time, framed it as you've lived an exciting life because I wanted to be that guy with adventurous stories, and I probably am to some people. But the reality is that those stories come at a price. Um, and to go back to the original story of wanting to break my legs, something snapped me then, saying this isn't worth it. And in a weird kind of way, the rally also kind of saved my life because it was saying, well, you know what? It's not worth hurting yourself over this because you've just had, well, this is about a year after the rally at this point, you had one of the most incredible four months journeys and um, learning experiences that only a handful of people who've ever existed have ever got to do, travel through 42 countries in four months and some of the most, some of those countries you can't go back to now. Yeah. Um, you were on such a high then, it's worth not hurting yourself so you can return to that high and do something yeah, like that again. Yeah, yeah. Um, so something snapped me then. I didn't ultimately break my legs. I went back to find the other person flying and said, right, we're going. She said, oh, why are we going now? I said, oh, well, I've got to go to a meeting. Again, made something up, uh, which is a common theme. Um, I think I dropped her back off and I dropped the car off and I just went home. I went for a long ass walk. And kind of put everything to perspective and thought, you know what, this company doesn't think about me. The only thing about making money. Yeah. Um, my girlfriend's essentially used me to get out of her situation and, you know, didn't do the research properly and just kind of whatever else. Couldn't get a work permit and 
I'm not enjoying myself, not have any money. I just need a bit of me time. So I, I think I didn't return to work for like a five or six days. Just went completely AWOL. Just went AWOL, yeah. Just spent our oh, flat was by the sea, to be fair. So it was quite nice for going for long walks and stuff. Um, just cleared the head and realised I'm in a dire situation here. I didn't speak to anyone about it. I didn't speak to my family about it. I didn't, you know, because I don't want to be a failure. I've been a failure all my life. I didn't, you know, at school, university, I dropped out of. College was, as I said, just fucking shit for everyone. Do you think didn't, that were like, didn't pan to my needs. Um, like embarrassment, like you felt a bit. Oh, hundred percent. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm con- I, I, I embrace embarrassment now. I, I but I constantly yeah. put in embarrassing situations all the time, all the time, and that comes with being an introvert as well. It's because you don't have those communication skills, and because the way my brain works, you, I was constant embarrassment. Uh, ever since I was little, I can recall things now again, and that comes with PTSD. You remember him, things that happened to you where you were deeply embarrassed, and you know. I kind of have learned to embrace that now and go uh, kind of give it back as good as I get it kind of thing. But um more, more mentally equipped to to obviously Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. But I can understand how that that's a form embarrassment is a form of PTSD in a way if you keep bringing up things from the past. It can be, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um so yeah, that moment in Ireland I kind of snapped out of it. Um my girlfriend got deported actually from Ireland. So that's another stress. Yeah. Um, on top of that, she ended up getting deported. I had to well, deal did, with all of that, that as well. Do you think, looking though retrospectively, do you think that made it easier for you? Oh, 100%. 100%. You didn't have to go through that trauma of the breakup. The, yeah, the exactly. Exactly. I mean, I, I didn't have to. Uh, again, it's nice guy Ollie. I didn't want to break. Like, really, I wish it had broke up pretty quickly. Yeah. But nice guy Ollie wanted to look after someone who was 1,000, 10,000 miles away from home. Because I'm a good guy. What I really should have done is said, you know what, this has been a fucking travesty. I'll pay for your flight home. Um, even though I couldn't. Um, well, that's the thing. I couldn't. Otherwise, I probably would have. I couldn't. So what we ended up, we just end, both ended up living quite miserable. Um, I went through that thing of wanting to hurt myself. Went through that. Took a few. You know, just took some. Took a few days off. Went AWOL. I think luckily my boss was like doing something abroad at the time, so it was kind of good timing. Um, so I didn't have to explain myself too much. Um, and then I think a week later, my girlfriend at the time got deported, which was, a ma- as you said, as bad as that sounds, was a massive release. Yeah. If it like, wasn't for like that. weight off your shoulders. Oh, big time. I didn't have to worry about it. I didn't have to buy cigarettes anymore. I didn't smoke. I didn't have to buy wine. Um, you know, I didn't have to. I, I, it was the bit of money I did have, you know, would all go on her, like whether it be going out for a meal, give her the illusion of being in a relationship, a functional relationship, when it was anything but. Um, and yeah, her getting deported was one of the best things. I know it sounds really bad, but no, no, I get it. It yeah. was such a weight lifted off my shoulders because it meant I could just. That was just, um, you know, it just meant I could do my work, concentrate on work. It meant now, right now she's gone. Now I've just got to get through this next few months because I know I'm going to leave at the end. Concentrate um, on you again. Exactly, exactly, exactly. Because I didn't take it. Well, here's, here's the other thing. In that whole year I was there, I didn't take any holiday. None. So working six, seven days a week, 16, 17 hour days with all those hours and those days being built up with other people's problems being constantly blamed on you. All in the name of profit and greed. 
on top um, of obviously a dysfunctional relationship. Exactly. And then, and exactly, exactly. And then um uh, what was I gonna say? Uh not um Yeah, so yeah, she buggered off, which was a weight off my shoulders and then we just it was kind of I just get again it sounds bad, but goes to the to get to get back to South Africa, right? You did fantastic. <laughs> Delete number, and I know that sounds really rash and quite harsh, maybe, but it was the best way for me to deal with it at the time because it probably caused the only, so much. The only way. You know, it, it's just cold turkey again. It yeah. was again that, that realization that I was somewhat used as well, and I think oh, I shouldn't have done this, but I worked out how much it had cost me. It was about fifteen to twenty grand, um, which was like a deposit on a house. Now you know. It's not even it's bad to work. Like think of it like that, but um, you know, you learn from these things, I guess. Um, yeah. But yeah, it was uh, a dire, dire situation, and all over the course. Of, yeah, yeah, that's what I was going to say. Yeah, I didn't have any holiday, so here's how I got out. Here's how I got out of that situation. So she went, so I had a bit more money every month. Um, I didn't take any holiday over that year, which meant I had effectively three or twenty-eight days or that. I had a lot of time to take off so I had at the end of the season I handed in my notice this would have been around August time um, I cleaned up the season in the last two weeks which was the um, last two weeks of the summer where you just clear up all the paperwork About do all that, the finances yeah. and yeah. get all the feedback and thank all the staff and do all that bullshit Um and then during that two weeks, my boss was having her holiday, having two weeks off. So it was, again, perfect timing. So there's a nice crossover period where I wouldn't see her, she wouldn't see me. Because yeah. um, towards the end, things did get sour because I just called her out on her bullshit to her boss, if that makes sense. Yeah. Not, not in a nasty way, because again, I'm saying she was a nice person, but I was just like, I've not been supported. I'm not getting any help. Um, you know, other people in my position in other um areas of the company where had like three or four people doing what I was doing and I was doing I was effectively doing five or six people's job as I said transport finance ag- agony aunt uh, counsellor you know what I mean um, so because I didn't take any holiday long story short I had that two weeks to clear up all the admin and stuff at the end of the season in that two weeks I'm not going to lie to you I done fuck all I went I moved into <laughs> the office and I was just watching YouTube and Going through the BBC Sport gossip column. That was that was literally it over that two weeks because I knew I can get away with it. Yeah. And yeah. in in my mind, they owed me big time because I was working overtime like a motherfucker, and I was doing all this stuff. I'd been betrayed, lying to, roped in, shit on, asked to do sh- shat on exactly all these favors. <laughs> I wasn't getting paid anymore. I wasn't getting any of that overtime back. Um, I, I was just doing absolutely everything when in other departments in the UK and in other branches of this company there was three or four maybe five or six people doing this with less students um so yeah i'd been shot on from an almighty height but because i didn't take a holiday i was able to get all my holiday pay on top of me leaving so it ended up being a nice chunk of money so i could afford to leave the flat get my deposit back and again move back to the uk um and um yeah, that's where that kind of most traumatic period of my life ends, I guess. So what what year did you move back to the UK then? It would have been about 20, just before COVID. Oh, shit. So you'd just gone through all that and then COVID it? 
Yeah. Do you know what I, do, do, I've ever told you what the thing I've done after that? So here's the interesting bookmark. You know, the um, you got the two bookmarks, you've got the book in the middle. Yeah. They're off this particular story. The bookmark at the start was the Mongol rally, was the rally going around the world. Having a time of your life and having that free, liberating experience. I do understand, listeners, by the way, it's not for everyone. Um, but for me personally, it's just what life is about. You then got the shit sandwich in the middle, which is that whole story I've just told, Ireland and the rest of it. Yeah. The first thing I'd done with that money would have been, again, October 2019, was go to Iraq. Is this the one with the passport? I do, yeah, a lot. Again, listeners, I ended up uh, losing my passport in Iraq. <laughs> now, why Iraq? Yeah, it's, yeah. Can you work this one out, Nick? Why Iraq? No, I have no idea. No idea. The I exact, think conversations about it. Yeah, it's never... the it's that bookend. It's the exact same reason I went on the rally. That freeing, liberating experience. You go somewhere no one expects you to go. The complete opposite of Western society, where it's all about profit, greed, and keeping up with the Joneses. Iraq, it is just nowhere you should go, isn't it? From what you're being told, absolutely by, yeah, by me. It's like exactly, and I was like, you know what? I need to. It was me pushing the reset button. It was going right. Go back. You've had a year of shit. Go and do something. Absolutely. That's going to be a thrill. That's going to be fulfilling. That's going to be a buzz. That's going to give you some stories to tell. Do you think that saved your life? I'm, I'm just just straight flat out there. Do you think that saved your life? Do you think making that decision at that you know point? What? Yeah, it fucking helped. I don't know if it wasn't good. So what? Credit where it's due to my mate Will. So my mate Will was the only person who came to see me in Ireland in that two week period while I was meant to be doing admin. Wasn't really doing anything. Will said, "I'll um, I'll come over and see you if you want," and he came and stayed. And it was his idea. To be fair, he'd been watching some YouTuber that had gone to Iraq. And said, oh, it's actually quite doable. It's not as difficult as uh, one would maybe assume. And he sold the idea to me. I was like, you know what? Let me finish up here and I'll take you up on that offer. And I think he wanted to go with me because I was experienced in kind of traveling to dodgy places. And he'd not really been, he'd only ever been to kind of standard places, I guess. Yeah. So he kind of t- one, taught me around the idea. I was doing some more research and then I was like, I think I'm going to Iraq. Like and to my people, <laughs> to my friends in Ireland. Um, and it's it was what I needed big time it was what I needed because it was pushing a reset button it's a complete opposite culture you know within reason I didn't have to you, you just because in, when you're in Massive somewhere as, dang, as dangerous Massive. as Iraq you're thinking about other things you're thinking well let's not get lost let's not try to upset anybody let's not get shot let's be careful you're, you're, it's sensory overload. It's a bit like going to, I don't know, the middle of India. If you've, if you've only ever been to Cornwall on holiday, and then you put that same person in the middle of Mumbai, um, it's just like sensory overload. You're like, this is so different to what I'm used to. Your brain doesn't have time to think about the trauma. It doesn't have time to think about things that have gone wrong. You're just going, fucking hell, a camel, or fucking hell, a guy <laughs> with a gun, or shit, that's the the call to prayer, or. Wow, I've never seen that before. It's your brain. It, what I go by going to Iraq, it was me tricking my brain into going, "Wow, this yeah. is what the world's really like for most people." There's, there's actually not the thing, year you've just had. 
that that's actually a, a therapy that they use for PTSD. It's called cognitive behavioral therapy. Yeah. It's about changing your mindset, you know, and it's not, and I've said it on a previous podcast, it's not one size fits all, you know, every single, which is why there's not much stats and facts out there for PTSD because your PTSD is totally different to the next person's and how you treat yours is totally different to the next person. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's one thing we've really spoken about. So yeah, all this trauma I've spoken about, it's how it links to this episode and to PTSD is that all these little things that have happened in this time, particularly in Ireland, there's lots of things that have happened over my life as well that come back into my head. But the way it works is, is that moments that are difficult, uh, whether it be confrontational, whether it be that meeting I described earlier on with a 10 million euro budget, whether it be confronting my boss, whether it be with my girlfriend at the time and having to lie to her or maybe her getting deported or all these little things that happened during that time period that were really difficult to deal with, high stress, will come back randomly. I could be walking the dog. I could be going to the post office. I could be doing a shopping at Sainsbury's. These random things will come back to haunt you in present day from the past where you fucked up, embarrassed yourself, um, were afraid to speak to someone, um, were in a difficult situation. And it happens every day to me. Every single day. Every day. Every single day. As well as my brain going at a million miles an hour trying to plan everything out. I'll get, oh, remember when you uh, had to lie to your boss because you were afraid to go to Zurich and give a 10 million euro budget? It's like, oh, weren't you a fucking idiot then? Why can't you just tell her? Why can't you just tell her? buying some bananas in Sainsbury. Yeah, well, exactly. And then another one will be like, oh, when you, um, I had, I had to, when I was in Ireland, I had to fire someone. I had to fire a couple of people when it was very difficult conversations because I liked the people and they felt like I could train them, but really what I was doing, what was best for the company at the time. And them going fucking mental at you in an office, one-on-one, then fucking shouting and screaming at you. Um, even though they were the ones that committed gross misconduct. But anyway, but then I'll have that replay in my mind randomly when I'm trying to sleep or, um, again, with some friends. And it can completely switch your mood. You could be in the best mood ever. And then, I don't know, again, something from Vietnam that happened. Um, oh, yeah, again, another long story, but someone ended up getting stabbed one of, who was on my one of my tours. Um, and I had to be the sole responsible person for that. That will that was a massive story as well. I ain't got time for it, but um, might have to do a part some, to yeah, exactly. Yeah, something something like that happened, and then that will come back into your mind and go, "Oh, remember you done that?" And everyone was judging you for the way you were looking after this person that got stabbed, and when so might, might not be in the case. Even, and, even now, even to this day, you still replay them over in your mind. Yeah, I mean, f- therapy helped, and I don't know if you want to go on to talk about that in a minute. Um, but therapy massively, massively massively helped and i'm not it's all about co- realizing with ptsd it's all about realizing that that's a safety mechanism your brain's evolved into doing to stop you getting in those situations again yeah but what in reality what happens at the time is that you just get one of these random and it's a flashback it's a i know to quote the vietnam war films it's a flashback to something tragic or traumatic that happened replayed in your mind in present day um, to stop you making that mistake or stop you doing that again because your brain's going danger, danger, danger. Um, and then it'll but really, what it but really what it does it just stops you in your tracks and it completely flips your mood. And it's a daily it's a daily thing. See that that alone, mine. You know, take away the you know the overthinking, the the been ten steps in front that we spoke about earlier. 
PTSD on its own must be just so draining and exhausting. And I mean, I presume that you get a lot of anxiety with that as well. So like you, you might. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. I mean, you avoid like certain. The, 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 yeah. Yeah. Big time. Um, so I couldn't, I couldn't it's, again, it's all on autopilot in my mind. And it's only when I catch myself. Well, here's the thing, what therapy taught me to do. It taught me to catch myself when these things happen. So when I go, when that memory or that flashback creeps into my mind, I go, ah, well, that's just my brain telling me uh, to be careful because you're about to make a phone call with someone. Right, and then, yeah. it, then I can kind of deal with it and go, well, it's, just, it's just a safety mechanism. Um, but it's realising that's that what it is and realising the triggers. Um, so another example is like, crossing the road for example i remember crossing the road once because this is like primary school era that there was someone across the road who i knew beat up my friend yeah there was someone across the road sorry that beat up my friend so i was like well always be careful you know look at kind of be really ultra cautious of your surroundings so if there's someone who i thought looked a bit dodgy i would might again cross the road which is completely unfair on that person or whoever it might be but then you kind of catch yourself doing it and obviously it's always fine because they're just a normal person only because they look scary doesn't mean they are um i don't know that's just a one example of many but um but yeah. still find yourself doing things like that now though oh, even well, though you even though you know how to deal with it and you know your brain's starting to go that way yeah still... i'm trying to think of an example yeah it happened today as i said earlier i went to the post office and it's just um and i didn't i went into one post office i didn't know if they'd done the service i needed and i had that trepidation of asking because i re- that's because I've struggled to communicate things like that to somebody who worked somewhere before when I was younger, like as a, as a teenager, I, I, if I got on the bus, <laughs> this is how stupid it is. If I got on the bus, I'd have to pray it was going to where I wanted to go. I'd be too afraid to ask the driver, does this stop at this place, mate? I'll be like, double, I'll be double checking the schedule going the number 12. Does that stop in Torquay? at this station and I'd be confused by the schedule and then before you know it the bus is here and then I'm like oh I've got enough money and then panicking oh the money's there yep money's good find a seat quickly find a seat quickly find a seat you don't want to be stood up find a seat and then you found the seat and then before you know it you're thinking oh this bus is going on a different route I don't think it's been this way before and then you're thinking oh where, where's my stop what, when do I press the bell um, yeah I've got all that. that that's the way my brain used to work I'm not like that anymore uh, I've kind of gained a lot more confidence through travel that's the reason I've done. That's the reason I've done the things I've done. I moved to Vietnam. I've went through Iran, Iraq, uh, around America. Live, you know, done all these random things because my going to these places cured my confidence issue. Brilliant. I, I like the, the recovery side of it. I always it's like listening to all the the triggers and the the you know what got you to that point and mm. everything else. It's always hard to listen to, but it's in, it's intriguing is probably the wrong word but the recovery side of it i think it's always phenomenal to hear people's recovery and and how different it is exactly here's one quick example once you lose your passport in iraq (laughs) that's pretty much as bad as it can ever get (laughs) you know what i mean apart from being shot in the back of the head or ran over that is as difficult a situation you want to get and you know what's funny at that time i was so calm when that happened in the middle of Iraq, I wasn't far from Mosul, by the way, which is obviously at one point was the most dangerous place in the world. Losing your path. I was so calm. I was so calm. I just laughed. I was like, 
this is typical this is typical ollie i was like this is gonna make i wasn't thinking like how am i gonna get home i wasn't thinking how am i gonna get back i was like this is gonna make one hell of a good story yes. and so when i when i come into those situations now that's also a very good way of dealing with it for me it's like oh you shouldn't be worried about um that meeting or that test or uh that interview because you went to iraq lost your passport and survived you've and done some of the worst shit bad. and as bad as it sounds i was you know i lost my dad in 2015 he literally died in front of me quite not not unexpectedly but well, i wasn't expecting it that day yeah and that was a massive trauma as well but also that in a weird way help kind of helps me because when you've seen the worst possible thing happen to you yeah which is your own father die in front of you it's almost like a weird superpower because that takes some beating you yeah. won't be as annoyed at you know Karen driving slowly in front of you on the way to work you won't be as annoyed as your boss going why are you late you've the worst thing that's ever happened to you has happened to you in theory or one of the worst things and yeah. um, if you're able to deal with that you can deal with anything absolutely no, use I, it I, as a superpower that's my excuse use <laughs> it as a superpower one advice use your traumatic experiences as a superpower that that was actually going to be the next thing I was going to ask you is you know like obviously you know we've spoke about how you feel today and how you deal with it but you know, if you had any advice for anybody that you thought was like suffering PTSD or potentially suffering it and they're not 100% sure if they are, you know, is there any like, advice from your experience that you, you would like to pass on or that you... Well, firstly, I'd be very interested for people to get in touch with me because I've not spoken to many people who've got PTSD or had symptoms. Um, so I'd be very interested to hear from other people. Yeah. Um, but second of all, um, there's a fantastic company called Big Moose who I was um, got in contact with for a friend of mine who was suffering with um, his own mental health issues. And it's a, a charity that gives free therapy sessions where you get your first five or six free therapy sessions free. Yeah. And then you kind of pay a subsidy after that. Um, but it's a fantastic way of not being on NNH with an NHS waiting list or being palmed off by other companies. Um, they're a fantastic company, and my my advice would be to try and find someone to speak to them, even if you're unsure. Because you know, I got to thirty before I done anything about it, and the only reason I did is because my mate Craig, shout out Craig, um, was able to give me an in. If that makes sense, that's the only reason I did, and then that's yeah. developed into me um, finding out if I've got ADHD. And and um, autism. Is there, is there a website for that? The the big moose. Yeah, I think it's bigmoose.co.uk. But um, I think they they've got a coffee shop in Cardiff as well. I've been to visit. Um, very very helpful. With a lot, you know, you could email them, and say, look, is there any chance you can help me out with therapy? And they'll get back to you in a couple of days, and and they'll match you up with the perfect guidance person. So I was matched up with a PTSD specialist. Um, other people will get matched up with depression specialist or trauma specialist or uh, grief so counsellors. It's not just for PTSD? No, no, it's it's all across the board of the mental health and it's for men, women, children, whoever really, and it's a fantastic resource. It's all, all kind of self-funded. Um, but yeah, my advice really would be to, again, it, it, speak to someone, and that's easier said than done, I get that. It took me a long time. It took me to get pushed, really, because Craig said, oh, we've, we've told this person uh, you're going to contact them. So he he done the hard part for me, really. He said he, he, he they they're already expecting me. Um, and it's the best thing I've ever done, really. It's one of the best things I've ever done because you learn about. I'm very into like 
anthropology, science, history, that kind of stuff. I love learning. I love learning more now than I did when I was at school. Um, Probably because you've got a bit more freedom what you can actually learn. Right? Exactly. <laughs> well, that's it. Exactly. That's exactly my point. Reform the schools. Um, strike, strike, strike. <laughs> um, but um, you just learn about how your brain works and that a lot of the things you do are kind of evolutionary and not as black and white as you may think they are. And self-diagnosing is a very dangerous thing to do, I think, because you just kind of bracket yourself into into a pothole. Um, but yeah, speak to someone. Big Moose are fantastic. I'm sure there's other companies out there that offer free therapy sessions as well. Um, just do some research and give some time to yourself to do that. And um, as they say as well, get your blues and your greens in. Kind of you know, go for go for a walk sometimes. Listen to music and don't pander to other people as bad as that sounds you just need to look after yourself sometimes and i think some people are very unselfishly selfish if that makes sense they spend too much time going well i've got a wife and kids and that's not an excuse not to look after yourself granted you want to look after people that's fine that was the same with me with my girlfriend back in ireland i wanted to make sure she was okay first but i completely neglected myself yeah um and looked up, tried to look after the company's interests rather than my own and the profits rather than my own. Um, so, yeah, take some time for yourself. If you want to go to a football match, go by yourself. And, you know, take some time out and do that if you can or whatever it may be, whatever your vice is. Yeah, I can talk. Give you, some, give, you, give you some time to do it. I went for a walk this morning along the beach just to only half an hour, but you know, it, was, it was time to clear clear your thoughts. Fair, and that's how, we, that's how we originally met because I was having really when I suffer, I say, when I have a bit of an episode where my, my mind starts to really like fuck me, for want of a better of a saying, the first thing I notice is, is is me sleeping. So I'll just not sleep at night and I, I just cannot switch off. And um, and that's kind of what I did. So I, you know, I, um, my partner were on TikTok for her business and stuff and she kept on like showing me them and I thought, nah, I'm not bothered about that, not bothered about it. Randomly, it must have been about midnight one night. Thought, right, I'm going to download it. Can't sleep. What's worst that can happen? And uh, funnily enough, scrolled across some weird southern guy opening football stickers from nineties. And he oh. come. Do you know what? It totally took me back though. And and again, this goes back to the the mindset thing. What you said. It it helped me take me back to a memory of a really happy time when I was a kid. Yeah. Of opening those stickers, you know, and and. It, that's another story for another day. How me and Ollie met and got talking, and and, and obviously how it's progressed. But um, not that we're in a relationship or anything, Ollie. But you know, <laughs> play your cards right. <laughs> um, but yeah, just just like you said, that mindset and and giving yourself that time for something that you enjoy, and and it can be anything, absolutely anything. You like you said, take yourself for a walk, listen to some music, you know. Again, like I said, that's that's the whole reason why we ended up um, communicating and, and meeting in the first place were through you taking me back to a happy place in youth, inadvertently, and and you know and you know rest history and it snowballs from there. But yeah, I think the um, there is another one. There is PTSDUK.org. Uh, they're really good. They're a UK charity dedicated to like raising awareness and and. Uh, specific for PTSD, as well as the uh, the one that you mentioned, as well as it big big moose, big moose, yeah, big moose. Um, what I'll do is I'll get that website off you as well, and we'll we'll put that uh, link for that in the description on the podcast as well for anybody that needs to 
to seek out any help or advice. Um, but yeah, it's it's been a really good insight into your experiences and your story and, and how things progressed. And it just proves that it's not just vets. It's not the whole Hollywood, you know, veterans that get PTSD. Anybody can get it. And it doesn't necessarily have to be an hour after the incident. It can mm. be years and years down the line. It yeah. doesn't have to be a specific incident. It can be five or six years worth of stuff that's built up and then your brain snaps, you know, and and I think there's people need to be more aware of PTSD and how it works rather than just like the one track mind of, oh, it's an army veteran who's got PTSD, that's it, end of. It's not, it's, it's been an enlightening journey for me looking into PTSD to talk to you about it for this podcast as, as it massively blown my mind on how it is and how it's massively underfunded as well. The research into it is is minimal. Yeah, I mean, it's, I, I don't know. It'd be interesting to speak to people who also suffer it if they identify anything of what I've said today. Because um, I said, as I said, I've not really spoken to many people who've uh, had similar sort of things. And for a long time, I just thought this was normal. That's yeah. the weird thing. It's yeah. only when you kind of catch yourself going, why am I bringing that up, that memory from 1992? You know, it's um, it's only when you catch yourself, you think, I can't go on like this, but um, it's not healthy. But that's like you've conditioned your mind to into survival board to, to, you know, to keep going on that path, if that makes sense. Mm. Um, but yeah, I mean... No, fair play to you for opening up and I really appreciate you coming on and talking about it all. And I know it's not an easy thing to ever talk about and bring back up. Um, but I just really appreciate you coming on and, and speaking about it. No worries. Hopefully it wasn't too, uh, I don't know if it was like a, too long for people. Nah. I, I tend to go on tangents, you know what I mean? <laughs> they could pause it halfway through. In the oh, it's true. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Play it on yeah, 1.5. Uh... <laughs> but no, it's, it's been... Um... It's been enlightening for myself and I hope people can take a lot away from it. And if anybody is listening to this and they think they can relate to it or anything, as Ollie says, please, please reach out and, and look at getting some therapy, but make sure it's the correct therapy in the correct places that you're going to seek it out of. Um, and, and on that note, I'd uh, like to thank you, Ollie, and uh, catch up again soon. Absolutely. Thank you very much. Well, thank you for listening to A No Place to Hide. I hope you've enjoyed the podcast and I hope to see you for future episodes as well. If you do realise that you need somebody to talk to or you feel like you need to reach out or even if you just need a bit of advice, please check out www.toughtotalk.com. These guys are running a fantastic men's mental health charity on their website. It's got links to about everything that you could possibly imagine. They've also got places for advice and help. If you need to speak to somebody on the phone, please contact the Samaritans on 116 123 or alternatively, please contact the NHS 111 option 2. Remember guys, stay safe and we can only break this stigma together. 